From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, J.R., last week saw the Republican-controlled legislature going ahead with its plan for a middle-class tax cut. Lawmakers want to use a surplus to pay for the tax cut, while Governor Evers is pushing a plan to virtually eliminate a tax credit for manufacturers. The Republican plan passed out of committee, and it's going to the full legislature this week. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss says he's open to working with Evers on how to pay for the tax cut, as long as it doesn't raise taxes. How do you think this will play out in the coming weeks? The things that I picked up were that they expect that Evers would likely veto this GOP bill if it gets to his desk. Um, then there might be a veto override in both houses. You know, Republicans try and see if Democratic lawmakers will stay stay with their governor on an issue like this. Then the question becomes, okay, Evers puts it in his budget. What do Republicans do to that? Do they compromise in some way on the funding mechanism? Robin Voss expressed an openness last week to compromise with Evers on how to fund the income tax cut. But he still drew a line in the sand about raising taxes on businesses. Um, he's looking at other things. Well, the other things he's looking at would mean less money that for Evers to spend on things like schools or uh, state operations or Medicaid. So that's that's the dynamic to watch. Also, Foxconn was back in the news last week in that Governor Evers said he's directing the DNR to review air permits granted to the Taiwanese company that's building a huge plant in Racine County. Evers promised the review during the campaign and says he doesn't think it's begun. Foxconn recently reaffirmed its plans to build a factory in Mount Pleasant and employ up to 13,000 people, but it's not known how many of those jobs will actually be manufacturing of LCD screens. Do you think there will be pushback on this directive to review the air permit? One kind of question people have I've talked to is, okay, this project is now scaled back somewhat from what it was originally envisioned as. What's that mean for the demands environmentally? Like, the original permit for water, I believe, was up to 7 million gallons of Lake Michigan a, get a, a day. Well, how much will, will Foxconn need now with a smaller screen that they're planning to produce, at least initially? Uh, things like that. So those are still kind of questions to be answered. But at this point, you know, Evers has said he wants that review, but the company, he says, feels comfortable with doing it. So we shall see. Governor Evers also spoke last week about the possible delayed closing of the Lincoln Hills Juvenile Prison in northern Wisconsin. It's been under federal investigation and the subject of multiple lawsuits alleging abuse of inmates by prison guards. The law requires the prison to close by 2021, but Evers says the process can't be rushed and closing may be delayed by a year or two. He says his budget will include more funding for guards and assurances that they'll be properly trained. Do you think the public will go along with this idea, and is it legal to keep the prison open past 2021? Well, the law right now says it has to be closed, so they're working on a bill that would grant an extension, and the question is what's that extension going to look like in the end? Evers is talking about up to two years and talking to lawmakers. They've been a li- some Republican lawmakers. They have not been quite thrilled with the idea of two full years, talking more like maybe six months. So where do they end up in that process? You know, the other thing to kind of watch with this whole thing is, um, you know, even the backers of the bill to close the prison had kind of acknowledged that they would need more money to pull off all the things they wanted to do. So they knew they'd come back and order this again. As they come back to it, what options are good? What ones will work? Um, how quickly can they get them done? Those are still things that are a little bit up in the air. 
And that might help shape this debate going forward about whether Republicans who control the legislature give Evers as much time as he wants, or if they try and find some middle ground that, yes, there'll be more time for Lincoln Hills is closed, but you have to have it done by this date, not the one that you picked out. In another development, fundraising numbers were released last week in the state Supreme Court race, in which conservative appeals judge Brian Hagedorn is running against appeals court chief judge Lisa Neubauer, who is backed by Democrats. The election is April 2nd. Neubauer has raised $863,000 so far, but that includes a $250,000 personal loan, while Hagedorn has raised 547000 Minus the personal loan, it appears each candidate is able to raise equally impressive amounts of money. So what do you think these numbers say about the race? If, if this race truly becomes competitive, the independent groups will spend way more than the candidates will. And so while these numbers are important to show strength and organization, they're going to pale in comparison to what the others can spend if they want to. And that's what's important with Hagedorn and the numbers that he's raised. If you go back to the 2018 Supreme Court race, Rebecca Dallet uh, ran away with that one, won by, I think, a dozen points statewide. And there was a perception among insiders in Madison that Judge Skrenik, who was a conservative uh, running for the court, that he didn't run the best campaign, didn't really inspire conservative groups to get involved, and he didn't do the legwork needed to kind of get them in, in, involved and excited. Hagedorn, people tell me, has been doing that foundational work with conservatives, activists, to get them excited about his candidacy and send a message of he's going to be organized. That then tells the conservative outside groups that, hey, this is worth the investment. At least that's the hope for Hagedorn, right, that they get inspired and get involved because this seat sets up what whether 2020 will be about to control the court. Right now it's a 4-3 conservative majority. Justice Shirley Emerson is retiring that means they're fighting for a liberal seat right now on the court. If Neubauer wins, keeps it 4-3, then next year with conservative Justice Daniel Kelly up for a full 10-year term, that becomes for control of the court. But if Hagedorn wins, that puts the conservative rate back to 5-2 and gives conservatives breathing room that Daniel Kelly's race is not that as, a, as key to holding the majority of the court, right? So a lot of things are coming to play just yet. And some things to watch are... You know, Hagedorn had some writings from a blog post when he was in law school that uh, people were a little bit uh, taken aback by, or some of them were. So will those come back to haunt him in the race? And what environment do we see this spring for the spring election? Typically, we see an older, whiter, more conservative electorate in an April election than we do in a November one, uh, especially a presidential year. Last year turned that on its head because of what was going on in Washington, D.C. with President Trump uh, and those kinds of things. So are Democrats still fired up? Will they still turn out because of Trump this smart, this April? Sorry. Um, I talked to people who think that Democrats were nice. fired up that much more by the extraordinary recession in December. So there's a little bit of fuel that fire. But conservatives, you know, will they get excited? Will they be pumped up to go turn out for Hagedorn? That's all stuff to determine, but those are very important factors about what this race is going to look like come April. And finally, the field of Democrats who've announced they're running for president in 2020 is growing. One columnist for New York Magazine wants it to grow even more. Eric Levitz suggested that Wisconsin U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin throw her hat into the ring. He called her a uniquely qualified candidate who may be the party's most electable. Baldwin says she's flattered, but she's focused on her work in the Senate. 
Do you think she would be inclined to reconsider, or do you think this is something she'll think about for 2024 or down the line? You know, I really haven't gotten any indication that she is looking seriously at running for president. Um, there is a very large field, and Tane Baldwin's coming after, well, a solid win in Wisconsin. It's a whole new level to go from that to running nationally, and the infrastructure needed, the fundraising needed. You know, part of what impressed me about Baldwin was the number she ran up in Wisconsin last year. Well, don't forget, she vastly outraised her opponent, who did not get a whole lot of help from independent groups on the conservative side. So she had a huge, huge financial advantage that helped her run up those numbers. Now, it's not the take anything away from Tammy Baldwin. She ran a very good campaign, people tell me, raised a great amount of money, the discipline on message, all those kinds of things. But it's a different ball game running for president, and I haven't got the sense that she's somebody who's seriously considering about it, at least not right now. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.